there, there's something here that's a lot deeper than just here. And so one of the things that we often repeat is that like here is just the conversation starter. Like when you get black and mixed race women together, like we're going to talk about hair as an entry point, but then the conversation is going to talk about life, money, career, fashion. Like we can just talk about so much just using hair as an entry point. Hey, curl friend. I hope you're doing well. Welcome to the Curl Squad's Curl Power podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed the last couple of episodes So my episode prior to this one was all about my own hair story and learning to love myself and it seems like there's a few people that that one has resonated with too and the episode before that, my previous guest episode was with Renee Davis. She is the founder of Out The Box, an incredible organisation which is just all about empowering the black entrepreneurial community. They've got loads of amazing events going on, so be sure to go and check out their socials at The Box UK. And definitely check back and listen to Renee's episode because she is just a wise soul. And she really just embodies the empowerment of her community. And I just love that. I think that really came across in her episode. It just really lifts me up to see so many people out there smashing it. People doing stuff with... um, a reason bigger than themselves and just seeing the beautiful effects of that when people go outside of their comfort zones they persist despite the odds and just create magic and as a mother it really makes me feel good to think about this is the future that my daughter is going to be growing up into um, and one that just looks different to the one that I grew up in through the 80s and the 90s And today I've got another incredible guest lined up for you and I just think you're going to take so much away from this episode. I'm going to be speaking to Jamelia Donaldson. She's the founder and CEO of Treasure Tress. Treasure Tress is Europe's largest monthly product discovery subscription service for girls and women with kinky curly hair. And Jamelia is also the co-creator of the Teen Experience, which is a monthly workshop series offering black and mixed race teenage girls personal development skills and so much more. And that's actually where I met Jamelia. Treasure Trust launched in 2015 and since then they've just gone on to create such an incredible community which is active on and offline and they put on the most incredible events. Treasure Trust has proven that natural hair and black sisterhood can truly go hand in hand and they're delivering hair care packages to over 26 countries monthly which is an incredible achievement. Jamelia has been featured in Forbes, BuzzFeed, Galdem, Good Housekeeping, Pride Magazine, to name just a few. And did I mention that she's also got a podcast as well? She's Obsessed, which highlights the experiences of successful and game-changing black British women. Jamelia was also named one of Ad Age Europe's Women to Watch. She's achieved so much in her young years. I just think there's so much that we can learn from her her courage her determination her commitment her vision and in this episode we spoke about working with your hair rather than against it we discussed the exploration of texture and length on her hair journey the importance of representation in beauty and business she spoke about what it would be like if the black experience involved enjoying your hair from a young age 
setting up business as a young black woman, how mentors and advisors can help you on your road to success, divine timing and pivotal encounters, adding value and getting noticed, and proof of concept, what it's like when your idea is validated. We also spoke about creating a community, starting a conversation and building a team. So without further ado, let's get into the conversation. Jamelia, thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Zoe. My pleasure, honestly. Thank you. I like to start the podcast off with just a little quick fire round. So are you ready for that? Yes, I am. Okay. Satin bonnet or satin pillowcase? Satin bonnet. Hair up or hair down? Hair up. Edges natural or edges laid? Laid. <laughs> Wash day, a chore or a vibe? Oh, a whole vibe. My favourite day of the week. I love that. Volume or definition? Volume. Day one day hair? Day one day hair. <laughs> day one hair or day three hair? Day three. Uh, diffuse or air dry? Air dry. Do you have any certified go-to products or accessories? Hmm. Accessories, definitely yes. Satin head, um, hairbands, which I think I've got like two in at the moment. Like, Where'd you get those I, from? I, literally Amazon. I should probably plug a black business that does sell them, such as Oso Kelly. Um, but I did get mine from Amazon, literally like a 15 pack. And I will not put my hair up unless I'm using a satin. Um, why's my mind gone? Like a satin, what are they called? Scrunchie. There we go. A satin scrunchie. Um, so that would definitely be my first accessory. My second accessory. It's not really accessory, but it's more of like a gadget. But we got the um, shower heads that filter your water to try and help against the <laughs> very hard water in the UK. So we've got one yeah. that kind of filters the water before it comes through the head, which is meant to be a lot better for your hair and your skin. So between a satin scrunchie and that, that, I would say those two. And then hair care products, I don't feel like I can say, just because there are so many um, and we're always discovering new ones. So... I can't really, I just keep them in rotation. Well, we can also plug the Treasure Tress box here because if you are on the lookout for a variety of products and you haven't quite found that one that is just for you yet, then this is a great way to discover new products. So when you were growing up, did you have any curl icons or natural hair icons? Um, yes, I would say my first one would definitely be Scary Spice. Yeah, because she was like the first time that I'd seen a black woman wear her hair out and big, and so I remember my mum used to do me and my well my, me and my best friend. Our mums used to do our hair in the morning, and then when we got to school, we used to take it out and just wear it like just out. I don't know how it looked looking back, but at the time we felt like yep, yeah, we look like Scary Spice, and then we would like put our hair back up before our mums came and got us, so they would never know that we took our hair out. <laughs> even though I'm sure it was pretty obvious um so my first one definitely scary spice um and then after then oh I mean I'm kind of tempted to say Beyonce but I don't feel like her hair was ever made to look natural I feel like it was always quite obvious that it was going to be like there were going to be add-ons there was the texture was going to be slightly different than probably her own so I want to say Beyonce because of volume but 
when I think of hair icons, she didn't really come to mind, but she comes to mind for everything else. Um, and then I think there was kind of just like a void because for in that void, I didn't actually like my hair in its natural state. And I didn't actually like natural hair that much. I always just thought women always look better with straight hair, especially black women. So in that period, I just, yeah, there was no one that I really looked up to for natural hair. And then it wasn't until I stumbled across the natural hair movement that I was like, oh, okay, yes, it is popping. Like it does look really good. And in most cases it does look a lot better. So um, yeah, and then I think for that period of time, definitely natural 85, um, I really liked Taryn Guy's oh, yeah. hair, but her hair is nothing. Yeah, her hair is nothing like my hair. So I did go through a period of like stripping away all of the natural hair gurus whose hair type wasn't anything like mine because I didn't want to set myself unrealistic expectations. And then Chime Edwards, actually, I watched a video of hers and her video was the first time that I saw someone unpack like the psychological aspects of us thinking that our hair needed to man be manipulated to be beautiful. And she was the first, it, she was the first video or the first person that I saw break it down like politically, socially and economically. And I was like, oh, wow, this is, this is actually very true. Like subconsciously I have held these views and I didn't even realize. So I would say Natural 85, Taryn Guy and Chime Edwards. Chime Edwards being the closest to my natural hair type, I would say. So what was it, do you think that, you know, we just take it in, don't we? Like the things that we see around us and we take that as gospel. And then, it, as you say, it takes some unpacking to start to think, hang on a minute. And you start questioning things. So what, what sort of information was she giving you that made you start to really think, yeah, this is bigger. Mm. This is something bigger. She was just questioning, like, why is it that every other ethnicity wears their hair more or less in its natural state? But for so long, black women have been pressured or expected to completely alter their hair type, um, even if it comes with health risks. Like there's still this expectation that um, black women look better that way or black women should conduct themselves or look this way in a professional environment when our hair's never naturally been able to do that. And one of the things that really stuck out for me, which she said was that we need to learn to work with our texture as opposed to against our texture, because for so long, I was literally battling against my hair. Like I was trying to get it as straight as possible and keep it as straight as possible. Um, and then obviously she went like way back in time and was like exploring the links to slavery and how people were treated during slavery based on the their hair texture and the color of their skin. Um, and it was just like so many different factors. And I thought, wow, there is actually so much that goes into how we decide to, how we decide to present ourselves to the world. And sometimes we think we have control of it, but sometimes we actually don't. Sometimes it's outside of our control and we've been literally programmed into thinking that black women only look nice in this way. Like they only look nice with silky straight hair, blunt ends and shiny strands. When in reality, everyone's hair doesn't fall into that category. Even when it's straightened, everyone's hair doesn't fall into that category. Um, so for me, it was just the way that she was able to link so many part like expectations of society and so many pressures that are subconsciously put on black women in a just very easy to digest way that I was like, oh, I've never actually thought of that. I just thought I look older with my hair straight. So when I was a teen, I wanted to wear my hair straight because I felt like I looked more mature, but I didn't ever think actually it's because I'm trying to manipulate the way I look as a black, 
I look as a black woman to make it more digestible or more palatable to um, other people in society. That's not to say that I don't still straighten my hair because occasionally I do. And I have no opinion whatsoever on black women who want to straighten their hair because I feel like our hair is a channel for creativity. We can do what the hell we like. Um, but I think it does become that much more interesting when you actually consider why you decide to do things. So yeah, that was a very roundabout answer to your question. <laughs> Yeah, but I think it's like you say, there's no judgment on what anybody does with their hair. But I think if people can come at it from a conscious perspective and it's not because of like we're looking around and it's what society is telling us what we should be doing, then that's one thing, isn't it? But coming from an empowered place, if you decide that you want to straighten your hair or if you want to colour your hair or do whatever you choose from a place of knowing and understanding that you're beautiful just as you are, then that's a different thing, isn't it? From looking at at society and just seeing a certain type of image that is making us think okay so that's how that's how we need to be i used to think it was normal to like just see black women with jet black straight hair like i thought that was the norm so to me natural hair was something completely outside of the norm and it was kind of like mm, why would you want to do that and then it's not until i started like i was getting really frustrated with the length of my hair because i was like why is my hair growing to here and not any longer like every year i get it trimmed I take really good care of it, but it just wasn't growing past that point. And that led me onto my natural hair journey because I was curious as to why black hair didn't grow, quote unquote. Um, yes, because to me, black women have straight black hair and that's all that there is to it. There's no other hairstyle outside of that is what I thought. I think the fact that like one of the biggest misconceptions is that people think that black hair doesn't grow, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That for me was like, I just got so frustrated one day because I was like, why? Like, okay, I cut my hair into a bob, but I don't want to wear this bob for the rest of my life. So like, yeah, why can't I get past this point? And then that led me into all kinds of forums where black women had hair of all different lengths, all different textures, all different colors. And I was like, wow, our hair really is magical because look how different everyone is. Look how different everyone looks, but yet we are all black women. So, um, yeah, that was that was fascinating to me. But that was the one question that led me on my natural hair journey because I wasn't expecting to explore texture. I just wanted to explore length and how I yeah. could retain more length. So how old were you at that point when you started realising? Um, I would say that I first started researching it when I was like 15. And this is like when Yahoo was the go-to search engine and the results were some <laughs> very old school blogs. Um, and then I didn't really find anything. I saw like tips to like rub onion on your scalp and like, what was something else though? And like the importance of olive oil. So I tried it for about a week and then I was like, this is just not working. <laughs> um, and then it wasn't until I was about 18, 19, that summer before I was going to university that I was like, oh, let me let me figure out what I can do with my hair. And then when I was at university and I had that much more spare time, I dedicated a lot of it to watching YouTube and figuring out what products I should be using, how I should be taking care of my hair and what a regimen was and how I can build my own to maximise the potential of my hair. So were you relaxing your hair up till that point or were you just using straighteners or...? No, so I was never allowed to relax my hair because my mum always scared me by saying that my hair is too fine. So if I was to relax my hair, it would all fall out. So I was never, I was never allowed to relax my hair, but I used to straighten it religiously. And where I had no hair knowledge before I started looking up like hair length and um, how to take care of hair, 
I used to do some ridiculous things. Like I used to shampoo my hair, blow dry my hair, straighten it. That's it. No heat conditioner, no leave-in, no heat protector, because in my mind, I just needed my hair to be as straight as possible. And I thought that if I added anything else as a step in that process, then it wouldn't result in dead straight hair. So I definitely had dead hair. <laughs> but yeah, I just, I had no, I had no clue. So the rise of the internet played a significant part then in the evolution of your own hair journey. In particular, YouTube. Yeah. Any particular people that you used to watch? Um, you Love Megs, who I actually still watch now. She's relaxed. She did transition to natural, but then she relaxed her hair again. But I think what I liked about her hair was her hair was also quite fine. And she was very, very disciplined and quite consistent with the products that she used. Um, natural 85, Chime Edwards, Taran. Who else did I watch? Those are the only ones I can think of. Yeah. Yeah. I think that young girls that are coming up now are quite lucky in the sense that they're able to see themselves represented in a way that like we never were. And certainly I'm a little bit older as well. Like certainly in my time, we were like really clutching at straws for people to be able to resonate with and to be inspired by. Yes. The importance of what you're doing now for the culture and mm. the move, you know, just the movement that you've created and stuff through your product box is um, is really inspiring. And I'm really glad that, you know, young girls coming up are going to be able to see themselves represented. How important is it for you that people see themselves represented in what you're doing? Um, I would say that is probably the most important thing in so many ways, like not only from the beauty aspect as in finding the hair products, but then even from like a business aspect, seeing black women in business, I think is really, really important. Um, so I would say that that's probably the top, top thing that trumps everything else. And I know that when I first launched Treasure Trust, I actually launched it for young girls because my brother's girlfriend at the time was expecting a child um, and it was a girl, so it was my first niece. And I was like, I don't want her to grow up and have to go through what I went through. Like, I don't want her to grow up putting tights on her head, pretending that this was her hair. I don't want her growing up looking at Disney characters and they look nothing like her and then she gets frustrated or like envying the girls in the playground that have naturally straight hair and then going to the mirror and looking at her own hair. Like, it just looks nothing like that and just being disappointed. So I didn't want her to have that experience. So I thought, okay, the UK doesn't have a subscription box like this. Maybe if I launch one for mums that they can buy for their daughters, then their daughters won't have to go through what we went through. Um, and so when I actually launched it, a lot of women signed up for themselves. So initially when we launched, we launched for mums, teens and mini-me's. Now we've merged all the boxes into one. Um, but that was primarily because I knew how important it was for me as a young girl looking around and not seeing anyone that looks like, not seeing anyone with hair, hair that looks like mine outside of my family or like my friendship circle. So I just wanted it just to be normal. Like I wanted to make natural hair so normal, so accessible, but I also wanted to be exciting because I know that for me, when it was Sunday and I had to get my hair washed in game road, I was like, oh, this is the worst day of the week. <laughs> like I don't want to sit here. It's painful. And I also don't like the way that my mom does my hair. <laughs> so I was just oh, tell me about every single <laughs> actually taught me how to camera in my own hair quite young because I was like I can't keep wearing my hair in styles that I don't like um so for me I was like what if like 
part of the black experience was just enjoying your hair from a really young age and enjoying and like understanding that it's something to be experimented with it's something to be explored it's your creativity and I think I really really see that in the young girls coming up one person in particular being JD from the teen experience you'll probably remember JD yeah I remember JD like so liberated the most beautiful curls ever but when she wants to shave her hair she just shaves her hair if she wants to dye it, she just dyes it. And I'm like, imagine if like we grew up and felt that confident and that sure of ourselves and our beauty and our hair that we understood that it didn't define us and that we could just experiment and go off on a whim and like cut it, dye it, shape half of it off. Like I just didn't feel like I had that kind of freedom because I wasn't secure enough in what I looked like and because there wasn't anything out there to reaffirm what I looked like anyway. Mm, it's like clutching onto every last slight centimetre of that hair and, you know, fear of going to the hairdressers for them, cutting it too short and all of that sort of stuff. So it's really empowering, as you say, to see young women just owning their hair, knowing it grows back and just taking those risks with it. So you spoke a little bit about setting up the business, but you just sort of said it so casually that, casually that I think it takes away from the magnitude of, of what it's become and what you've achieved. So can you tell us a little bit about the reality of setting up a business and what that's like as a young black woman? Um, it's a challenge. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's really a challenge. And we get so used to doing things the hard way that sometimes we don't realise that there are easier ways to do it if you just have the right resources and the right network. Um, so Treasure Trust was founded in 2015. I literally started it in my bedroom. Um, and it was never a thought of mine to ever get funding because I was like, how can I ask a stranger for money for an idea that I can't prove yet? Like, that's crazy. But years down the line, and I, I now know that that's very, very normal. Like, people just come up with these random ideas. They get investors, they give it a try, and they have an amazing life while they do it. Whereas um, for me, I thought the only option was to bootstrap, which I've continued to do to this day, which is now a conscious decision. But at the beginning, it was like, I thought I had no choice but to bootstrap because who was going to give me money for this idea? And when I did try to talk to investors quite early on, the feedback that I kept getting was, you should make this box for everyone. This should also be able to be used by white women. Mm. And I was like, I hear you, but that's not the problem that I'm solving. And Birchbox and Glossybox do exist for that market. But for black women, it's a very unique experience. And I feel like to try and dilute that and make that an experience for everyone, it would just be substandard, substandard. And I wouldn't be passionate about it because I'm passionate about it because I know that I need treasure trust. Like I needed treasure trust growing up and I need it now. And if I was creating a box for everyone, that passion wouldn't be there and it wouldn't be authentic to me. So I just couldn't do it. Um, so it's been, it's been interesting. Being underestimated is the common theme. Having to over-deliver and overperform all the time is definitely the common theme. Um, but I feel like this year in particular, I just feel like a, there's been a shift in energy. And maybe it's just been because the team are just so, like the team is so, so strong. And I feel like we really know what we're doing now. Whereas at the beginning, I'll be completely honest, we did not know. Every day we were rolling the dice, like, okay, we know what we need the outcome to be, but we're a startup. We don't know what we're doing. It's an experiment. Whereas now I feel like we're really picking up momentum and we're gaining some pace. And so um, now I feel like we're a lot more headstrong in that 
this this is the price can't negotiate on it this is what we can do this is what we won't do like we're we're able to be a lot more firm in our conversations with a lot of our clients so i think that that definitely stands for something but it's it's a very unique experience it's not for the faint-hearted faint-hearted um and i would say that it definitely takes a really really strong support system because if i didn't have a strong support system i don't think i would have lasted up until this point yeah because i was going to say how do you knowing that like as you say you know what you want the outcome to be you don't necessarily know what steps that you need to take to get to the outcome how do you push through that regardless of, of the uncertainty literally putting one foot in front of the other <laughs> I distinctly remember the first Monday after I quit my full-time job so I used to work in finance I launched Treasure Trust while I was still there and then I quit maybe eight months later to run it full-time and I remember the first Monday, me sitting there with a calendar of the month in front of me, completely blank and thinking, okay, Jamelia, what, what do we do now? Like, what is actually the next step to take? Um, and I just had to break it down day by day, week by week, month by month, and then try to press forward. Um, but then I think that's where mentors and advisors come in as well because they are literally able to fill in your knowledge gaps with their experience. And then they can help you figure out what you should be doing next and what your priorities should be and like where your, where your focus should be. And that even helps me today because speaking to mentors and like just those that are a lot more experienced than I am, they constantly remind me like, Jamelia, this isn't something that you should be worrying about. Like someone on your team needs to take care of that and you need to worry about this. Or Jamelia, no, your time is too valuable. You can't afford to do that anymore. You can't commit to doing that anymore. So um, mentors and advisors and more experienced peers definitely help fill those gaps. How do you go about aligning yourself with a mentor? Mm, um, that is a great question. I've done it a few different ways. <laughs> um, my first mentor was Sharma Dean Reed. And I was able to get her as a mentor by literally stalking her. So <laughs> I followed her on Twitter. I set alerts for her tweets because I realised that she always tweets where she's going to be before she goes. So, me, oh, so like literally stalking her. Literally. <laughs> <laughs> so me and Maury, we said no, like we need we need a mentor and she would be a great mentor for both of us. Maury at the time was more focused on events um, and I was doing treasure trust. So we were like, okay, cool. We think that she'd be valuable to both of us. So let's set up alerts. And then if she's doing a talk, let's just go. So every talk that she'd done, we were literally in the front row. And every talk that she'd done, I would raise my hand and ask a question, even if I knew the answer, because I just wanted to make sure she noticed me. And then maybe about the fourth time, she was like, are you guys following me? And we were like, yeah. And she was like, what is it that you're working on? Like, how can I help? And I was like, oh, I'm watching this subscription box. It's called Treasure Chest. It's for women with curly hair, blah, blah, blah. And she was like, okay, cool. Put time in my diary. We'll meet every two weeks um, and we'll take it from there. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay, cool. So that really, really helped. That lasted, I would say, about maybe six, six to eight months. Um, and then my second mentor it wasn't as intentional. <laughs> I was literally um, traveling for a hair show and I was in the airport at a terminal and he was standing behind me and he like made a comment about a watch that I was wearing. And then we just started talking about the watch and then I was like, what do you do? And he told me that he also works in cosmetics. And I was like, oh, I'm launching this company called Treasure Chest, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, oh, cool, let's stay in touch. And then ever since then, we would have like weekly calls and he would be like, hey, let me introduce you to this person in the industry. Let me introduce you to this person in the industry. So that was almost like, 
I mean, I don't really believe in fate or luck, but that was genuinely just divine timing that I met him at that time at, in that place because the craziest thing was I wasn't even meant to be in that terminal. I had gotten to the airport so early that I was like, let me go for a walk and buy some juice from somewhere. And then I went to this juice bar and it just so happened that he was there. And I was like, wow, that was definitely one of those moments in time where I think that was very pivotal to like my whole journey because had I not met him, I think it would have maybe taken me a lot longer to build the relationships that I have based on the introductions that he was able to make. So one of them was very intentional, the other one not so much. And then any subsequent mentors have literally been through introductions. So, hey, let me introduce you to my friend. And then me and that friend just really click. And so we just maintain a relationship where it's not a like very formal or structured mentorship. It's more just like, hey, what do you think about this? How are you doing? How's your family? Hey, what do you think about this? Um, and one thing that I would definitely say about mentorship is, is that it's really important for you to be able to reciprocate and actually add value as the mentee. I don't think that I necessarily done that with Sharma Dean, if I'm being honest, <laughs> because she was definitely schooling me. But I think ever since then, I have been really intentional about thinking, okay, this person is spending so much time talking to me and is sharing so much of their expertise. What can I give to them in return? So um, the first, no, the second example that I gave, he runs a cosmetic company that's now interested in natural hair. So obviously the value is very apparent there for what value I can add to him. So my advice would be, you can be really intentional and you can intentionally and quite bullish, be quite bullish about going out and sourcing a mentor. But then when you do that, make sure that you also add value to them. Like make sure it's a reciprocal relationship. So what sort of ways do you think, because there might be people that are listening who are really keen to get a mentor and are thinking, well, what does little old me have to offer to someone who's got this wealth of experience? What ways can people add value? Um, okay, if I was to take myself, for example, ways that you can add value, like, do you share the content of the brand on social media? Maybe do you provide some insightful feedback? Are you really strong on a social media platform that the brand isn't yet present on? And so can you give some tips and tricks on that? Um, are there a group of influencers that you think would be perfect for the brand that the brand hasn't got the attention of? Could you do an introduction there? Or could you just send like a list to the owner or the head of socials to then take that on board? Um, do you attend their events? Even just being an attendee and being really engaged and vocal online, like that's actually adding value um any blind spots in the business I think are like the best ways to add value because there's certain things that you just don't know until you you don't know you don't know until someone points it out so there could be something that the owner of the brand isn't doing that they don't know that they could be doing and you might notice it and I think that that would be a great way to be like hey have you ever considered x I can help you do y can we set up time for a talk and then the, the natural progression of the conversation is going to be, oh, so what do you do on a day to day? OK, are you doing anything in addition? Cool. How can I help? So I think, um, yeah, maybe just finding blind spots or just trying to think about what the brand isn't doing that well or as well as they could and suggesting alternatives. Or if you come across people that you think would be valuable to the brand or to that person in particular, then if you can't do the introduction, then at least sharing their profile. I think that's some really really good advice tell me a little bit about what it was like for you so you set up your website you're ready to go what's it like when those first orders start coming through and your ideas are like validated yeah it's it's insane I distinctly remember that 
whole process. <laughs> so um, fortunately for me, um, my fiance now, but my boyfriend then, he's a web developer. And so I've been telling him about the idea. He was like, yes, yeah, it's a sick idea, do it, blah, blah, blah. And then I was like, okay, we're gonna launch on this date. And then it was like a week before and I think he had forgotten. And then literally like two days before I was like, oh, John, do you know that like I'm launching in two days? Like how long is the website gonna take? And he was like, um, Jam, we've, we've got to do it now. So we literally done like one or two all-nighters to get the website up. And then I was like, okay, cool, it's up. Put some posts on Instagram to say that we'd launched and then getting the first orders through like you genuinely feel like you've, <laughs> you've won the lottery. Like you feel like you've hit jackpot, even if it's just one, one order, cause you're like, not even one order, but one order from someone who you do not know. That for me was the icing on the cake and the validation that I needed because I think my family and friends know how passionate I am about hair and beauty. They were always gonna trust whatever I launched. Um, and a few of them were gonna buy in, but it's like when someone who you have absolutely no idea who they are, from a country you've never like you've never been to. So one of our first orders was from South Africa, from a lady that I've never even I met her actually two years ago when I went to South Africa at a hair event. But ahead of then I had no idea who she was. And that for me was like, oh my God, this is actually real. Like this is actually a good idea. And people are actually buying into it. Like it's actually a business now. So yeah, yeah I think that that feeling not is unparalleled. I don't think there's many things that come close to it because it's like wow it's not just a thought now, like people are buying in and it's not just people that I know, it's complete strangers. That's such a validating experience, isn't it? So you've got this idea, you think it's a good one mm-hmm. and then you want to start marketing, but to prevent yourself from marketing into a void, how do you start building a community around your idea? Um, so what i done was I just set up an Instagram page and the Treasure Trust Instagram page, I was just regramming images of women with natural hair, like all different textures, all different shades. And then we had maybe like 100, 200, 300 followers. I think by the time we launched, we maybe had like 900 followers. Um, but even that within itself is building a community because you've got people that are constantly engaging with your content and constantly on your page. But I took it one step further as well. I built up an email list at the same time. So I was able to speak directly to these people in their inbox now. And I was able to say like, hey, we've just launched, this is how it works and provide them with all of that information that they maybe wouldn't digest on a platform like Instagram, whereby you're just scrolling, you're liking, you're not really taking things in. So I would say a social media platform doesn't have to be Instagram, but where you can find like-minded people and hashtags are also a great way to do that. But then I would say as quickly as you can take it away from social media and into some kind of email list, do that. Because then you can have a much more intimate conversation and there can be the back and forth if there are any gray areas. So if you see something on Instagram and like a perfect example is the Instagram pages that say like, hey, this is my service for more info and prices DM. For me, I'm like, I'm not DMing. (laughs) Yeah. Tell me how much. Remove the obstacle. Remove the obstacles to buy. Remove that. And I think it's the exact same um, when it comes to creating your email list. You can provide all of the information up front. And then if there is any missing parts, then you can fill in the gaps in a very intimate conversation as opposed to, um, yeah, trying to be ambiguous and mysterious on Instagram, but then also trying to get the balance right of not overwhelming people with too much information. I would definitely say email lists are definitely my preference and I would always recommend them. 
Yeah. And because the truth is, you never know, like with um, social media, it's outside of our control, right? We don't own that data. That is not ours. So if it all goes tomorrow, or if your account gets deleted, or your account gets hacked, which I've seen a few things of, or you put you, you post a bad ad that Facebook doesn't like, and it pulls your ad account. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do then? So I'd just really like to, um, from my marketing background, just support what you've just said about getting those customers yeah. in um, into your email list, so you can so you can have that conversation on your own terms. Exactly, and even the algorithm, like. I haven't posted on my own page in like a week because I'm like, listen, I don't know what's going on with this thing right now. It's and a joke. It's tiring. Like sometimes you're just over it. And you again, you have no control. Email, you do. You can decide how frequently you want to email people, what you want the content to be like. You can do surveys, questionnaires. Like it's just so much more dynamic. So yeah, as you said, social media, as much as it's fun and it's great advertising, it is actually outside of our control. Whereas we should try to regain and retain as much control as we possibly can, which is a bit ironic in this climate. (laughs) So you spoke a little bit about the team and building a team. What was it like when you got to that point where you were like, I need to take somebody on and then building a team beyond that? Do you know what? I was really reluctant to take anyone on um, because I had had a few, I had one really bad experience with an intern and I just thought, oh, I can't do this again. Like I would much rather spend my time just doing it by myself. And I was like hell bent on just doing it myself. Um, and then one of my friends was like, hey, I want to intro you to someone. I think they'd be really helpful. And I was like, mm, okay. And then I met them and what they presented was actually really good. And then from then I was like, it does actually help to have help. <laughs> like it does actually help to spread the load. And when you spread the load, you also invite other people's ideas, which just amplify your own ideas. So then um, one of my close friends, she was working in real estate, but she wasn't enjoying her job so much. And she said she wanted to do something more creative. And I was like, hmm, creative. Treasure Trust is quite creative. So I was like, would you consider joining um, part-time? And then she was so good part-time. I was like, look, I am not quite sure how we're gonna do this, but I'm gonna figure out a way. Will you come on full-time? And she was like, yeah, sure. Um, So, my tip for hiring is pretty much like find people like find good people and then just keep your eye on them and figure out what they're really strong at because sometimes people don't even know what they're strong at um and then allow them to do that thing that you can see that they're naturally good at so i I don't know where i saw the quote i can't remember what book it was but it basically said that the ceo's job is to create space for people to be them best their best selves and do the things they enjoy the most and I was like that is absolutely it like you might recruit someone that's a teacher but you can see that through their own social media they're amazing at like taking pictures captions um stories so you would then hire that teacher to join your team to do exactly that because it seems like they're naturally good at it they enjoy it and it's just a natural skill for them so um yeah that's that was pretty much I think I followed pretty much the same formula like whether they were in my network, a mutual friend, or maybe a complete stranger whose work I admired, it was just like, hey, I can see you're really good at this. Would you consider doing this with us at Treasure Trust? Um, and it's kind of worked. <laughs> yeah, I'd say so. So, <laughs> so you build your team. The team is continuing to grow. Um, you move yeah. into the event space as well, mm-hmm. putting on events, which I've been to. And there's just something about 
despite any social anxiety that I've had in the past, like turning up at one of your events and just instantly feeling like this sisterhood and just this vibe and just feeling a part of something, which is why I always champion um, your brand and everything that you do, because there's just always heart in it. And for me, that that's really important. So what was it like going from, you know, creating a product to then creating event spaces? Um, I think so, by the way. I miss our events so, so much. Um, the funny thing is, I've done events really early on. Um, so one of the first events that I done was the mini me afternoon tea when the box was purely was was geared more towards little girls, and that for me again proof of concept. It was like wow, people actually value these spaces and people value these interactions. And I was a complete well, I'm probably a complete stranger to most still, but um, like I had no background in events, I had no experience, I had no track record. But yeah, women were buying tickets and the events were selling out. And I was like, this is crazy. So I'd like have my mom helping, my best friends helping, <laughs> everyone helping me pack up my car, drive to the West End, set up the venue. Um, and it was like, wow, there, there's something here that's a lot deeper than just here. And so one of the things that we often repeat is that like here is just the conversation starter. Like when you get black and mixed race women together, like we're going to talk about hair as an entry point, but then the conversation is going to talk about life, money, career, fashion. Like we can just talk about so much just using hair as an entry point. And I think for me, events were definitely a validation of that. Like as much as we're all here because we love natural hair, we're here to connect on a much deeper level than just superficial. So yeah, the events were another proof of con um, another proof proof of concept it was another aha moment like oh wow this is this is something here yeah and that's very much like with with this podcast it's like I've met so many incredible women along the way mm -hmm. and and it's all come from from hair which as you say I said in a conversation yesterday it seems very superficial to anyone on the outside looking in I was talking to a group of people um about the podcast the other day and I just don't think because you know they weren't black or mixed race women I just mm. don't think they quite got the significance of of the conversation <laughs> yeah and 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 how much more it means to us and and um yeah, it's identity forming and culture creating and uh, it goes so much deeper than that. Let's talk about the teen experience. Yes. How did that come about? Um, so as I mentioned uh, with the mini me afternoon teas, I was feeling a void there because the girls that were attending were between the ages of two to nine years. And remember I had said that I launched Treasure Trust because I didn't want my niece to be born into a world where natural hair wasn't normal. So these events, she was actually able to attend. So it was just so surreal, like not only having the box in the room, but having my niece in the room, who was just a, a scan when I came up with the idea. But now she was like this little human who was like holding hands with these other girls. And it was just so cute. And I was like, oh, this is lovely. Like I could definitely continue to do this. And then I was attending more natural hair events myself to build out my network, get to know people, get to know new women. And I was like, oh, this is lovely. Like, um, I'm in my early 20s. I can meet other women in their early and late 20s, early 30s, um, and we can connect. But then I did think, what happens to anyone that's in between? Because when I was a teen, I was going to youth club and like Friday club and all of these other social events because the world was very different then. 
and it was normal to like go out and do that but now the world is quite different so what happens if you're a teen you're not old enough to go to these natural hair events you're too old to go to the mini me afternoon tea you're kind of just in limbo but these are your formative years so it's important that we actually do something there so I had that thought and I was like hmm the teen experience because I guess what it that's what it is right it's the experience of being a teen we all have it um at some point in life so then I reached out to a ton of influencers and bloggers and I was like hey would you consider doing a workshop um this is the idea it's not launched yet this is what I'm thinking and then Simone here formerly formerly known as Hera Simba um was like hey like we barely knew each other at this point but she was like hey, I really, really like this idea and I'd love to host a workshop with you. Like, I'd love to help you build the idea as opposed to just hosting a one-off workshop. And I was like, brilliant. Now I haven't got to do it by myself because that's tiring. So then we, I can't even remember what the first one was, but again, my link to Sharma Dean allowed me to do it at Warnell's. So Warnell's, like one Sunday a month, we used to have the salon literally packed out with teens with influencers as hosts, entrepreneurs as hosts, like women from all areas of society um, who weren't that far removed in age from the teens themselves that were able to teach them things about self-esteem, um, self-defense, beauty, education, careers. I know that we even touched on finance at one point. So the teen experience was to pretty much fill that void and create something that was really important for me as a teen, but there wasn't anything structurally in place because I guess all of the funding for youth clubs has now dried up and teens are actually more engaged digitally than they would be, I guess, in those social spaces. And as I said, there are no social spaces really created for them. So for us, it was really important that there was a space um, we had put in a lot as far as the branding and like the visuals of it, because we wanted it to feel like something special. And even down to the goodie bags, like it, we needed to make sure that the goodie bags were popping every single time because we were like, if we were teens, we couldn't afford to go out and buy products. What would we want? Like, what would we want to take home to feel special and to feel like someone actually cares about us? So that was the teen experience. I miss it so much. <laughs> um, we do have plans to do some stuff virtually, but I just miss what it used to be as far as like the physical space that we used to create. Yeah, it was such a, like, for me, such a powerful experience to go into that environment with the young women and with all of you and just everybody's learning from everybody. It's not just, you know, the teens learning from us, it's us learning from them and just feeling so inspired by them. And it just sort of really brought home to me the importance of having people who look like you doing significant things that to help you to feel as though, you know what, I can do that too. Because if you don't see it, it's you don't know what you don't know. Do you know what I mean? And it's hard to put yeah. yourself into those shoes if, 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 you, if you don't see it. So I just, I was so inspired by that whole, that whole movement. And yeah, I really, really loved the teen experience. And it was something that I was really proud to yeah. be a part of. And for me, I, it's just crazy how many of us connected through the teen experience. Mm -hmm. It's like, even down to Javita, like when I was thinking back, I was like, I didn't actually know her before the teen experience. I didn't actually know Zoe before the teen experience, but now these are like friends of mine who, yeah, like whose friendship I really, really value. So I feel like it's also a testament to, as you said, not only how much we've learned from the teens, but how much the teens were able to help us connect and build our own relationships, which is really important. Yeah, 
yeah, it's a whole beautiful thing. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about your podcast, She's Obsessed. Sure. So She's Obsessed um, was born out of my desire to just explore, like, the obsessions of other Black British women. Um, so for me, I'm someone who once I remotely start liking something, I go all in, like, I just become very obsessed with it. So <laughs> I'll be researching it every second of every day. Like, I don't know how to do things half-heartedly. And so I was like, what can I learn from the experiences of other women who society maybe, maybe don't elevate and who maybe don't get the same publicity as other people in society, but obviously are equally, if not more important. Um, and what can we explore? And I was also having a lot of really interesting one-to-one -one conversations. And I was like, I'm sure these conversations would benefit other people as well. So what would happen if I recorded it and I shared it? So as it stands, She's Obsessed started to, to explore the obsessions of different women. So like relationships, health, beauty, but now it's kind of just evolved into <clears throat> almost like a recorded conversation of women that I admire or really valuable conversations that I have that I think will help other people. So the last episode was actually a recording of our panel for Treasure Trash Travel, which was our pop-up shop concept for 2020. And it was four other female, Black female founders, and they were just sharing their experiences of what it's actually like to build a business from scratch, dealing with buyers, retailers, clients. And for me, it was like so refreshing because I was like, maybe I'm not as alone as I sometimes feel as an entrepreneur. And maybe this is a shared experience. And maybe if we spoke about it more, we could all learn so much more from each other. So it's pretty much just a recording of conversations that I have with amazing women. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I was listening to that. Um, or I listened to that episode as well myself the other day. And it's like, yeah, so many relatable conversations being had. And that's why it's so important to just amplify these conversations. And, mm -hmm. and then, you know, so other people can think, oh, you know what, that's me too. Or, oh, I've got these hangups or these things that have been preventing me from, from taking steps forward. But look, these women are out here and they're doing it. So, yeah, I think it's a really important conversation that needs to be had. We just need to hear more Black women and mixed race women speaking up and telling us about, you know how they're overcoming these obstacles and how it, in this this world that we grow up that we that we're able to step into our own power and to provide services to people who look like us even if the rest of the world doesn't necessarily see the benefit in that yeah and i think it goes back to that representation point again about even as like big women we still need to see other women who look like us doing amazing things for us to be reaffirmed in that oh yeah I can do that as well oh yeah I, I also deserve that as well like I deserve that outcome um, from life I deserve to be treated that way so I think it's, it's just the same thing it comes down to representation and seeing people that look like you um maybe slightly ahead um, of you in life maybe at the same point of you, as you in life but just being open and understanding how much you can learn from them as well so with so much going on with all that you're doing, how do you keep balance? Do you have any daily practices or rituals that you that you do? I think balance is hilarious <laughs> because I don't feel like I ever reach it, but I definitely try. Um, this year has definitely taught me to slow down. And I feel now that I look back, I think, wow, 2019, I was just running around like a headless chicken. Like there was no form of balance whatsoever. 
But I also think it's so interesting how, like we had our best year yet in 2020. And yet in 2019, I was running around like a headless chicken. And it's kind of like, did you need to do all of that? But then also it's like, maybe you did need to do that in order to set yourself up for 2020 um, to make it productive. Um, so when I think about what I do on a day-to-day, on my best days, meditation, absolutely key. Um, that's a discipline that my, my fiance taught me when we were like back in uni and it literally has transformed my life from then. Um, so I'll take 20 minutes on a very good day. I'll do morning and evening. Um, on, a, on my not so strong days, I'll just do the morning. Um, and then I also purchased a gratitude diary from Ramel London. And that's again, a practice that I used to do way back. I used to have a gratitude jar and then the jar got full and I like put it in my cupboard and I didn't really revisit the practice. But given how the world is now, and I found myself falling into traps of just feeling so frustrated, I was like, okay, if I meditate and then I feel like my gratitude diary, then I'll feel like I've got a good foundation for the day. Um, Drinking a ton of water, always. (laughs) Yes, amen to that. Um, Juicing is life. Fitness is something that I used to not play with um, when the gyms were open. So my day would literally be wake up, shower, meditate, um, gym, work. But now I'm struggling because it's very cold outside. I did have my first proper workout yesterday, so I'm getting back into it. But I think as much as I can move my body, the better, because I can definitely feel like mental changes with that. And then as far as just making sure that I maintain some form of balance, for me, it always comes down to time management and organization. So my diary for work literally is um, broken down hour by hour. So it starts at five and it finishes at 12 a.m. My bedtime is always between nine and 10. So I don't see those last three hours of the day. Um, but I'll literally schedule in meeting time. I'm doing deep work. And then my hard stop is six o'clock. Because what I found last year when we were working from home is that I was working from the minute I got up to the minute I went to bed. And I was like, this is not life. Like, this isn't it. Like, I don't work this hard to just do this. Like, I work this hard so that I can have time freedom and I can do other things and I can be flexible. So I also need to build that into my diary. So now I've got pretty um, solid structure from the morning till the um, early evening. And then the evening time is time for me to spend with my fiance because that's what I want to do. Like, ahead of then I can do anything else. But also I'm a morning person and I work better in the mornings. So it doesn't make any sense for me to be working till 10 o'clock because I'm not going to be productive. I'm just going to be sitting there. Mm. Yeah. Feeling as though you're doing something, but really are you actually making progress? Yeah. I think healthy boundaries and knowing when to just call that cutoff point, especially when you're working from home is so important. Otherwise the day bleeds into the night and the night bleeds into the day and then you're all stale and just like, Oh, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'm here for the healthy boundaries because that's something that I've struggled with um, myself. And I think when you're responsible for generating your own income and then, mm-hmm. you know, putting other people on as well, it's like. Yeah, it's a lot of pressure. Yeah. It's yeah. a lot of pressure. But um, again, I remember one of my mentors saying, Jamelia, the most important person in your business is you, because the minute you get burnt out, then you're putting everyone else at risk. So he was like, make sure that you are okay and make sure that you're in a good position. Otherwise, the business is going to topple. And I was like, okay, <laughs> I guess I need to put some boundaries in place and make sure I get the rest that I need. Yes, some sage advice. Do you have any book recommendations? I know you've mentioned a couple of books to me in the past, which have just been like game changers. 
So is there anything that you can share with the listeners? Uh, what are we doing business or are we doing life? Both, I think. If I was to say life, I would definitely say Conversations with God is by far one of the best books that I've ever read. It sounds religious, but it's not religious at all. Um, but it just completely expands your mind and just helps you challenge everything and helps you even challenge like religion and these structures that have been put in place in a very respectful way. Um, for me, it just helped me completely change the way I look at the world. And I really appreciate that. The other book I would recommend is Outwitting the Devil by Napoleon Hill. And that was literally about looking at fear and realizing how stupid it is really, how ridiculous it is. And I remember that that was the last book I read before I decided to quit working in the city and instead um, start Treasure Dress because it just helps put life in perspective in that we can actually be stifled by fear. But once we look fear in the face and we actually evaluate what we can gain and what we may lose, it just helps you make a more informed decision and live, live a more bold life. And then business, um, definitely Profit First. I sing about this book all the time because, again, it just helps you build a very good infrastructure for your business, which I think is really important, especially as we see the rise of Black-owned businesses. We need Black-owned empires so that these can continue to run and so that we can actually climb up the social <laughs> ranks in the same way as other races. So. I would say profit first is a really good way to look at the way you spend your personal money and your business money and how much you generate and how you can actually protect your profit margins. And then another business book, I would say one thing, I can't remember who the author is, but um, just about like not trying to do the most, like just set yourself one thing for the day, like the one thing on your to-do list that has to be done and you don't do anything else until that's done. And for me, I read that maybe in year two of Treasure Trust when I was social media, customer service, client services, literally every role was me. And it just helped me think about, okay, today, this is the one thing that I'm gonna get done and nothing else is gonna come in front of that. So I, I think it just teaches you really, really good discipline in business. Those are great recommendations, thank you. Um, is there anything that you would like to plug or let the listeners know about and um, let us know where we can find you? Um, I just want to plug you, Zoe, because I think you're just amazing, honestly. <laughs> like, Aww. I've seen your praises. You are a name that comes up frequently in me and John's conversations because I just think you're just incredible. Like, the way that you have just been so supportive of so many people have continued to pioneer and just continue to pivot through life. Like if something doesn't work, it's fine. We move on to the next thing and we make it work. But I think you live in a way that's very authentic and very true. And I feel like your daughter is absolutely the manifestation of that. So I want to plug you. Um, thank thank you, you so much. And thank you for creating this as well. I can't wait to listen to every single episode. Um, and then as far as me, you can find me on Instagram at Jamelia is obsessed. Um, my podcast is on basically all of the podcast platforms and that's she's obsessed the podcast and then you can also find at treasure treasure Tress on instagram and you can find the teen experience on instagram as well thank you thank you for your kind words and you've been really generous with the advice that you've given um, throughout this i think people are going to have massive benefit from from this um, is there one parting bit of advice for anyone who might be looking this who's wanting to start something but lacking a bit of confidence or got some limiting beliefs yeah, I would say 
The one thing that I kept reminding myself of, oh, okay, my parting piece of advice is never burn bridges. That is my parting piece of advice because I was able to leave corporate with a really sound mind because I was like, if Treasure Trust doesn't work, I have kept a really good relationship with my colleagues. So if I need to turn around and do a U-turn, they'll accept me back with open arms because I like worked hard right until my very last day. I was authentic, I was honest until my very last day. So I would say never burn bridges because you don't know when you're gonna need someone. Um, but alongside that, I also kept just saying to myself, what is the worst that can happen? Like, okay, if this doesn't work, then McDonald's is always hiring. So I can always get a job somewhere. And I feel like that's how practical you've got to be about it. I feel like as this has shown us, this whole situation, life is very, very fragile. And I feel like who you work with, where you work and the impact that you make together, I think is probably one of the most key ingredients to a fulfilling life. So I would say don't undervalue like who you work with, what you work with those people to do and the impact you can have on the greater world. Because I think we do live in, in, in an individualistic society whereby we feel like we can do everything ourselves. We don't need everyone. Everyone should be out for themselves. But that's not the reality of things. The reality of things is we're all interconnected and we all actually really need each other. So don't burn bridges. And the worst thing that can happen is that you need to get a job and McDonald's is always hiring. I love it. Jamelia, you've been amazing. And I'm just really excited to see what else is to come for you and Trisha Chess going on into the future. Thank you, Zoe. Thank you. Well, what another great chat. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. This is exactly why I am doing these podcasts because there's so many amazing people out there doing really cool stuff for really inspiring reasons and I hope you're enjoying the conversations as much as I am having them. If you do have any questions or if there's anything that you'd like me to discuss or anyone in particular you think I should have on the show please yeah drop me a message let me know. You can hit me up on Instagram and the podcast page is at the curl squad. I'll be placing the links for some of the books that Jamelia recommended in the show notes so be sure to check those out and it's always that uh last bit of the show where i have to get all beggy beggy because i'm a new podcast and i'm relying on just the organic work of the good world (laughs) to get this podcast out there so if you are enjoying it if you enjoyed this episode please do tell a friend who you think might enjoy it as well um also feel free if you're on apple to rate and review preferably (laughs) with five stars if you're not inclined to give me five stars perhaps you just slide on into my dms and let me know um what it is that i could improve on because i'm very open and on that note friend i shall bid you farewell and best of wishes for the week ahead until we meet next time i'll be back the same time next week so i'll see you on tuesday